0: Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of this program and the founder of the Miller Law Group. That uh, offers mediation collaborative law services to families in Westchester and New York City. And I'm here today with Barbara Newman Mannix, who's the founder of A Dignified Life. And I'm going to read a little bit about A Dignified Life because I think it's a really important service. A Dignified Life is a unique company that advocates for families in the elder care and end-of-life arenas. Their mission is to alleviate the burdens of navigating this maze with a wide range of support services and the medical, legal, and social services all under one roof. The company guides individuals and families through a plethora of crises and problems, evaluates all of their options, and determines the optimal solutions. From home health care assistance assessing lifestyle changes to legal planning and downsizing, They help to diffuse emotional gridlock and address all issues with which families struggle. So, Barbara, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I think what the services that you offer are so important for adult families dealing with end-of-life and elder issues, as well as for younger people who deal with chronic brain injury or illnesses And how did you get started in this field?
1: Well, it was based on a personal experience. And in 2006, my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And we found that we were the luckiest and had the best of the worst in not having to leave what I call our board table, which is our coffee table, to find the services that we needed. So we had all of the professionals in our family that were able to help us with the services that we needed at that point in time. And As time went on, I realized that not everyone has the availability of those services. And so if you don't have that network, that's really where we come in, like yourself, where we provide those services to people in all vetted and referenced.
0: So. So I think one of the reasons that I wanted you to come on and talk with us on Dialogue on Divorce is that so many of my clients facing divorce are also dealing with an aging or dying parent or the death of a parent and sorting out the estate, all of the sort of entanglements that come along with that, both legal and very much emotional. Mm -hmm. And I thought for people to understand the various things, resources that are out there, and kinds of things that they might be thinking about, if they're facing this kind of situation, as many people do, that that could be really useful information. You know, we're often people are, you know, called the sandwich generation, you know, and sometimes it's I've heard this expression this past weekend, a club sandwich. You know, you're dealing oh, tell me
1: about that. I have an Well, heard we are
0: that. dealing with the four generations where you have, oh, you know, there's grandchildren. children and grandchildren yes. or maybe even great grandparents, depending on where you are in the club mm-hmm. a sandwich. Yes. And so it's very complicated and it's very stressful for people who are tasked with making these decisions and making these arrangements and sometimes paying right. for some of these services. Right.
1: So, the first piece, which is seems to always be the most difficult piece is the communication piece. actually, having a family decide how they're going to approach their parents, and in a situation where there are multiple generations where we call ourselves actually the generational bridge, breaking down not just those generations but within the own their own family, the sibling structure, which is also very complicated which child is going to speak to the parents, what the parents' issues are. Different children might have different perceptions of what their parents' issues are. So assembling a family meeting, getting everyone on the same page to actually discern what the condition of the parents are, what the goals are, and then what those tasks are to attain those goals. If families have never had a conversation about this, oftentimes it's because the elders are are the ones who are resistant to opening up their minds, their books, their homes, not wanting to play favorites to children, children having baggage that they've been carrying around for years for towards their siblings, which their parents might be aware of. So it's very multifaceted, as you say. There are a lot of layers to this. But at the end of the day, the elder is really the one that we're dealing with, regardless of what the children are going through, whether it is divorce or inequity in their, in their finances. We really try and separate the fact that the
0: parents are really what we call the star of the show. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that children, you know, adult children dealing with an aging parent Don't want to take over in some ways that, you know, I think many times they would really like for their parent to make these decisions for him or herself, but fear that they can't or they won't make good decisions or they're not realistic with their ability. Do you find that to be true?
1: Well, I find that to be true. And also, I find that even when they should be helping to make decisions, dynamics are dynamics. And when you're dealing firsthand with your own family dynamics, it's very difficult to be the catalyst. So as we are both third parties, I'm sure you find the same, that you're able to present information and get results that perhaps a family member can not get. You know, people relate to stories. So I had a family a while back where there were five adult children, all very willing and able, both emotionally and financially, to be able to step up. Any one of those children could have helped their parents. Each of the parents had different health issues. But the real issue was bringing help into the house, which the parents could not afford. So first separating the parents and their illnesses, the parents had made it very clear that they did not want to leave the house. And the children actually felt as if they were intruding on the parents' emotional space because they could not figure out an avenue. Each of the five children couldn't figure out an avenue to approach the parents and say, we'll pay for the help. We can easily pay for the help. I was hired to approach the parents to allow, to just start that part of the conversation, to alleviate that emotional gridlock so that the parents could relax, stay in their home and have that, that it wasn't a luxury, it was a necessity, but they viewed it as a luxury so the best part of the story is going to the parents' home, where all these children grew up, and seeing these five children all in their fifties jockeying for the seats, their assigned seats. You know, everyone has an assigned seat in the, the dining course. room. Seeing the dynamics, seeing the body language changing as they were sitting down, quote unquote, to dinner with their parents, even though their parents were in their eighties and the children were in their fifties, it was fascinating.
0: Yeah, it sounds very much like you're in a position to mediate between in the family to help the adult children have a conversation with their parents, and then have them listen to what's really important to the parents, and then also talk about what's possible.
1: Right. But also allowing the parents to remain parents, the children to remain children. And if there is an agenda, which of course there always is, Having me ask the hard questions and removing the heat from anybody else in the room to attain that purity, to attain that safe space where you really can accomplish something and, you know, make people feel qualified and try and alleviate guilt. And, you know, it's, it's again, that, you know, that peeling
0: away of each layer. That's interesting. This is Catherine Miller. I'm talking with Barbara Newman Mannix on 1460 WVOX. And this program is Dialogue on Divorce. And interestingly, Barbara, we're talking about the role that you play in helping people make decisions and find resources for elder life, really, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes people say that it's kind of a role reversal at the end of life, you know, parents become children, children become parents, but that's not really true. I mean, parents are parents and children are children and you can't, yes, maybe the capabilities and the caretaking role changes, but it doesn't reverse. You know,
1: that's largely personality based, I think. It's an interesting point. I agree. I don't think it really happens, but at times... Kids don't understand. As parents didn't understand us as we were growing up, kids don't understand their parents as they age. So by that, I mean, we could never have our parents accept us making bad decisions. And in essence, we learned by failure and trial and error. The fear of allowing an elder to do that, of course, keeping them safe, as long as they're safe... I think kids have the hardest time allowing their parents to make bad decisions. So, for example, I mean, if somebody wants to age in place, the house may not be set up to the optimum level. So rather than taking, you know, this big stab in in wanting mom or dad to move out of the house, w- approaching it in a more gentle way of suggesting maybe turning that den downstairs into the new bedroom. And Working compromises so that you're not actually taking over the parent's life and having that role reversal that you talk about, but aiding in what might be more commonsensical thinking. You know, parents think of themselves as being invincible as we have children. We think of it as the same way, you know, wanting to lead them down a path of success. Well, if someone is 25, 30, 35, 40 years older than you, they already have their path of success. They already understand what their role has been. They have their relationship to the world with and without you, and they're returning. And for those of us who are empty nesters understand that, they're returning and have returned over a 40 or 50 year period to that original path. So to have us come in and intrude upon that path is not always the best way to ensure what goal we're trying to meet and their emotional well-being.
0: And it's a challenging enough path for all of us as we age and are become more and more limited. I remember a number of years ago, I had a very serious surgery and I, I'm fine now. But I came home from the hospital and there was a pamphlet for my family. And the pamphlet referred to me as your loved one, you know, in quotes. Oh, and there was a, you know, a picture of a quite elderly, gray haired grandma on the cover, you know, me, your loved one. <laughs> and I remember feeling so objectified. You know, I mean, this was they're talking about your loved one and toileting and your loved so one and sex life imper- and your loved one. And I'm like, seriously, so impersonal, really terrible. And everything I think was meant with the best of intentions, you know, to be able to help my family deal with my recovery, uh, you know, from the surgery. But it was so. I don't know, weird. yeah. And and at least for myself, I could think to myself, well, I'm not going to be your loved one, you know, for very long because I'm recovering. (laughs) But if I wasn't recovering, I think it would be very hard to kind of like swim up from that kind of, it's almost like an ego blow.
1: Well, it's interesting because the name of our company is A Dignified Life specifically for that reason. As I mentioned to you, I got into this business through my husband's illness the largest pet peeve remains to me having anyone spoken to in third person when that person is sitting in the room and so as jim got sicker people stopped speaking to him and started speaking to me but the best question i was ever asked is is he hungry <laughs> and he was sitting about 4 feet from me and i said i don't know ask him you know i, I mean we're constantly redirecting we're constantly having to remind our loved ones that we still exist. You know, we may have be a little more hunched over. We may have to speak a little louder. There may be all of these little caveats and all of the nuances that we have to have acknowledged, but we still have integrity. We still deserve the respect and dignity of being a whole person, as I call it a WH whole person. And as children we forget that. That you know, we everything that we've learned Good, bad, or indifferent was initiated and that catalyst was our parents. So kind of like I have to step back a little bit and let them grow into what their new role is and maybe what we think our new role is, but maybe not so, not so heavy handed.
0: Oh, so Barbara Newman Mannix, <laughs> founder of A Dignified Life. Let's talk about this issue, driving.
1: Oh, well, talk about having to be heavy handed. Yeah, um, I think
0: driving, I mean, because when you think about this sort of role reversal thing, you know, our parents taught us to drive, maybe they facilitated borrowing the car. And they had rules around the car. And we always had a curfew for our kids around the car. And I remember my grandmother talking about driving in her late 70s. And she would say, it's okay. She would drive from New York City up to Connecticut up the Sawmill Parkway. She'd say, when it's dark out, I just drive down the center and turn on the bright lights. Oh, great. That's fabulous for everybody else. Maybe not so safe, right? And so... It's not the first time I've heard that, by the way. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. It makes complete sense. Take both lanes and... and turn on the bright lights and... Turn, like, and uh, bright uh, absolutely. Watch out. Right. And so I think it's a really challenging issue, this thing around safety and what it means about autonomy, especially for people who live in the suburbs or in rural areas. What are your thoughts about driving?
1: Well, adult children are in as much denial about taking the keys away as the elder is in not wanting to relinquish the keys, is my first thought. If you approach a child and say, are you sure your parents should still be driving? You'll get two answers. Oh my God, but how do we take the keys away? And the second answer is, oh, they're fine. They're just driving locally. They know exactly where they're going. Just driving locally. Just driving locally. So the first piece we'll take, the, the first camp, which is how do we take the keys away? Again, we want to be as reinforcing and supportive as possible, reinforcing and supportive as possible in not wanting to demand, usurp any of that independence. And so the first thing that we suggest is um, there's a senior driving test at Burke Rehab on the main campus on Mamaroneck Avenue. So if you are in serious doubt of your parent driving, your elder driving, and you are a complete butting heads with whether that's a viable reality... Remove yourself from that situation and bring in a third party.
0: You're basically saying you could there's an objective test. There's and, an and objective find out test. whether or not this is something that's safe for your parent exactly. or other person.
1: Get an ophthalmologist involved, as far as eyesight is concerned. Get that primary care physician involved. So use all of your third party resources to get that objective view. Many times, the actual exhausting act of having to go through all of these steps is enough to start to initiate that conversation to get to that end. And I think that when an elder is confronted with, oh, I'm going I'm to have to take a driving test. Or I'm going to have to take a vision test. Or I'm going to have to go speak to my doctor about that. They start that little voice inside starts saying, hmm, maybe there's some validity to that. So that's when the kids feel that there is A reason to start that conversation about taking the keys away. When the children are in denial and they're advocating and endorsing that their parents are only driving locally, if we're speaking to them, we're going to start that conversation, that third-party conversation. You physically have to look at your parents' car to see, and that will tell the whole story as to whether we think they're safe, they are safe, or they're not safe. You'd be surprised how many knocks and dings there are in a car when there's question about whether an elder is safe or not, and that's the first place you know take that physical evidence to start that conversation.
0: I think that's really good advice, Barbara Newman ex founder of A Dignified Life, talking with Catherine Miller on Dialogue on Divorce, WBOX fourteen sixty AM, or here every other Wednesday from five to five thirty, and as a podcast on my website, which is www.westchesterfamilylaw com and also available on iTunes Dialogue on Divorce. We've been talking about driving and other elder issues. And let's talk a little bit, I think. Well you know what, Barbara, before we get too much further, why don't you give our listeners your contact information in case they have any questions about finding appropriate resources?
1: Oh, thank you. So my website is www.adignifiedlife.com, And then you also can call me directly at nine one four Four seven five seven two two five. So a dignifiedlife dot com, or call us at nine one four four seven five seven two two five.
0: So I recently took a an elder mediation yes, uh, you training, that. and it's something that I've always been interested in since the early part of my career when I worked with families that were planning for Medicaid with a parent or an older family member with dementia of some form or the other and also dealing with certain physical issues. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's really important to separate out, you know, in some ways, one of the things that they said in the elder mediation and giving us a little bit of background is that dementia is not normal. We shouldn't necessarily expect that as we get older, we're going to be, you know, face dementia, you know, we may face a little bit of forgetfulness, forgetfulness, you know, an ability to like find a word in the moment or whatever. And, but it's not the same as Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or what we call quote senility. right? And so could you talk a little bit about that? You know, how people can tell the difference, maybe not the person themselves, but a family member be able to tell. How they observe. Yeah. So, you know, we're pretty
1: overrun and overwhelmed by a population just by virtue of living longer. We're experiencing more instances of dementia in our everyday life. Age-appropriate forgetfulness. I mean, I'm almost 60 years old. I mean, I'm starting to experience what I hope is only age-appropriate forgetfulness. But, you know, you walk into a room and you don't remember why you walked into the room and I just keep on walking until it comes to me or, you know, you can't remember where you put your keys and you find words don't come to you as easily as they used to. That's all normal. But confusion is probably the first sign of true dementia when you're not normally experiencing just overload. I mean, we you know, we live such a fast-paced life these days. We have so much to keep track of, we have so many different venues to check in on, our email, our voicemail, our texts, and then our, you know, our families, our jobs. I mean, we have all this multi-dimension that we really didn't experience earlier in our lifetime. And so imagine putting 25, 30, 35 years on that and having to keep up and then experiencing some sort of, you know, chronic disease, heart disease, diabetes, COPD. If you can keep that all separate and not experience confusion, I challenge and I agree that dementia is not normal. As soon as you start to... Well,
0: I think what you're saying is that for any 29-year-old, that could be challenging. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> but well,
1: let's talk about early onset. So early onset has become uh, early onset of dementia, which is as ordinarily diagnosed as, as Alzheimer's. When you start experiencing true challenges in confusion, being able to keep track of your daily activities, your finances, your schedule, your calendar, that's not normal. As the disease becomes more understood, and of course we know Alzheimer's is not necessarily understood, then we're able to do tests that are able to define and see plaque in our brains and see changes in our, in our MRIs and so forth. In terms of dementia, the longer people live, The less elasticity the brain has, you know, there's always exceptions to that example, but that's where people, I think, mistake dementia with just age-appropriate forgetfulness, you know? So I don't know if I've answered your question, but I think in in my experience, confusion is what really is the bell that goes off as opposed to losing words or forgetting keys or things like that. True confusion, getting lost. People get lost in their homes, like
0: frequent p- and with a, the degree with of frequency.
1: frequency. Not understanding what their what time frames are, not being able to carry out daily tasks that they could ordinarily. Looking for your shoes, which of course we all can't find our shoes in our homes. But I'm being funny. But really experiencing confusion of concern. That I think is
0: the so best. A regular. Yeah, regular experience of confusion is something to really watch out for if somebody's experiencing that, and it's across a number of different areas. Yes, misplacing things, getting lost, inability to manage finances, and Correct. so on and so forth. Correct. And since of course, it's terrifying, you know, for any of us, you know, to be self-diagnosing or you know or thinking that a parent or another loved one, yes. you know, is experiencing that kind of dementia at, at toward the end of their life. And, and there are also, I think, you know, uh, we don't have much time left, but of course, physical limitations that come along with with aging.
1: Well, um, you know, it's it, that is probably the hardest thing for someone who is cognitively sound to uh, experience, because if your mind is sound, you expect your body to be sound. Yes.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Barbara Newman Mannix of A Dignified Life. This is Katherine Miller. We will see you in two weeks on Dialogue on Divorce.
1: Thank you, Kathy.